We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Man's wisdom versus God's wisdom. Next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. As a ministry of Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace. We welcome you to the broadcast. We are again in the middle of our little series called Man's Wisdom versus the Wisdom of God. We're in 1 Corinthians 1, looking at verses 1 through 25. Now, we're in verse 18 and 19 today as we focus on the beauty of the cross. It really is foolishness to everyone else, but this foolishness of God really, as we see, turns out to be the great wisdom of God juxtaposed to the foolishness of man. Won't you join us as we see the necessity of the cross for our very lives? With this edition of Abounding Grace, here's Pastor Gary Wagner. The war was over before it was even fought. Christ won the victory in his death. And everything that is a part of this world's system and rebellion against Almighty God, the wise man, the clever, the scribe, the debater of this age, are all on their way out because at the cross, they and everything connected with them were judged by Almighty God. And now God is in the process of smoothing out the way of His church and His kingdom. The rough places are made smooth. The mountains are being melted down. And nothing, not even Satan himself, is an insurmountable impediment to the advance of the kingdom of God and to the conquest of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing stands in its way but you, if you are not willing to open your mouths. So the wise man, the baiter, and the scribe, they may cackle and they may boast, but they have no power to resist the foolishness of Almighty God. God promises to destroy humanism. In fact, through the preaching of the cross, God does what He always said He would do. Verse 19 is actually a quote from Isaiah 29. God said the preaching of the cross would defeat humanism hundreds of years before the gospel. And now the gospel of Christ, of God, is simply doing what he said he was going to do all along. Turn to Isaiah 29 so you have no doubts about what I'm saying. Paul takes verse 14 of Isaiah That was written unto Israel, and he expands it to the entire Gentile world. And he says, Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among the people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Now turn to Isaiah 44. 
Isaiah 44, 24. Keep in mind, the gospel is simply God doing what he said and intended to do all along. Isaiah 44, 24. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself, that frustrateth the token of the liars, and maketh the viners mad, that turneth wise men backward, and maketh their knowledge foolish. God says through Paul, I'm just doing what I said I was going to do. I told you there was coming a time in which I was going to make all the intellectualism and all the other isms of this world look absolutely foolish and bankrupt. That I was going to end all of their influence. And how was that to take place? Verse 16 of our text. That confirmeth the word of his servant and performeth the counsel of his messengers. You see, it is the word of the gospel that Isaiah says, even from the Old Testament, that God is going to use to bring all the isms to frustration. So then we come to 1 Corinthians. And we find that it has always been the purpose of God to do what he is doing this very moment through the gospel, bringing humanism and all forms of human self-righteousness and self-esteem and self-trust and self-sufficiency to its, deter- to its termination. And I love the way verse 21 of our text reads. Verse 19 and 20 tell us about the purpose of God, and verse 21 tells us about the pleasure of God. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That word please implies strong volition. It means something you really want to do. Something you desire with all your heart to do. Something you take great pleasure in. So it says God desires earnestly and takes great pleasure in saving people in a way that seems foolish in the eyes of the humanist. You know what I love about this passage of Scripture? I love it because it tells me that God planned out the way of saving us. Deliberately, He does it in such a way that it appears foolish to the humanists so that they would be confused. Brethren, I want you to understand how foolish this sounds to the unsaved. And remember, it's the cross that seems to be the foolishness of God. It's not the preaching. It's what's being preached. Why do they call the gospel of a crucified Christ so foolish? The Jews view it as a scandal. The Greeks view it as moronic madness. But what makes it so foolish? Well, try and put yourself in their shoes. How does it sound if I were to come to you and say, Hey, we have a God who got himself crucified by his enemies. We want you to follow that God. 
We want you to follow a God who is so foolish and powerless and lacking in wisdom that he got himself killed by his enemies. How does that sound? Especially to those committed to reason. It is a crucified Messiah that appears before so foolish before the eyes of the world. And it says the world, in its wisdom, didn't know God. Now that's important to understand. Do you know that the Bible teaches us that man outside of Christ does not seek God? We all know people who say they seek after God or worship Him in their own way. Well, God's Word says they don't. The Bible says in Romans 3, there are none who seeketh after God. The Bible is basically saying, if someone is not Christian, says they have discovered God outside His Word, that that God is a figment of their imagination. It's just an extension of themselves. God says the world in all of its wisdom and all of its humanism cannot and will never know God. Against that, it pleased God to save His people by sending His only begotten Son to be sacrificed upon the cruel cross of Calvary so that the world would look upon it as utter foolishness. You see, the great point here is that humanism and the gospel of a crucified Christ stand in absolute contradiction to one another. And we must fully grasp this. We mustn't cut corners on the gospel to try and make it more palatable to an unsaved world so that they'll be less offended by it. The less offended an unbeliever is by the gospel that you present means you're not truly presenting the gospel of Christ. Humanism and the gospel of Christ are an absolute uncompromising contradiction. There can be no negotiation. There can only be a demand to the humanist of unconditional surrender or destruction under the judgment of Almighty God. There is an absolute contradiction between the two. The world in its wisdom cannot find God. And God in His wisdom was pleased to let them find Him only through the cross of Christ. And that absolute contradiction must never be compromised. The only thing we have to offer to a lost world is unconditional to surrender to Christ or be crushed under the righteous scepter of Christ. And there is an interesting statement there in 22, verse 22, where it says that the Jews looked for signs or miracles and the Greeks searched for wisdom. But we preached Christ crucified which to the Jews is a scandal and to the Gentiles is madness. Do you know in those two words, Jew and Gentile, you have the two basic idolaters of mankind. The Jews seek for a sign and the Gentiles seek for wisdom. 
Why was the teaching of a crucified Christ so scandalous to the Jews? Because they worshipped the idols of power. The implication of their actions toward a crucified Christ and the preaching of such was a scandal to them because they wanted a sign. They said, show us a miracle. Give us some kind of wonderful display of omnipotence, and then we'll believe. Satisfy us. We've got to be convinced that the gospel really does have power. If God is going to be exempted from the charge of foolishness, and if the gospel is going to be accepted by us, then we must demand that the gospel satisfy the test and the criteria that we give to it. And if it does not satisfy our reason and our experience and our standards of judgment, then it is pure madness and pernicious superstition. Jesus was always called upon to prove himself before the bars of human judgment. Turn to Matthew 12. In Matthew 12, Jesus is faced with those who worship the idol of power, who say, Jesus, we'll believe you if you authenticate yourself. If you validate your credentials with America, that will, with a miracle, that will satisfy our, expe- our expectations. Then we will believe in you. Display to us your power. Matthew 28, 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Show us a miracle and stun us. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Jesus' response to those men that demanded power to authenticate his claims was the same to all men who try to get themselves, set themselves up as a judge over Almighty God. They said, give us a sign and we'll be your most earnest disciples. And then Jesus said, Forget it. If you must have a sign before you follow me, there will be no sign. Because I am not accountable to any man, and I will not submit myself before the bar of human judgment, because then you wouldn't be following me at all. I would be following you. He said the only sign you're going to receive is the sign of Jonah. Well, what was that sign? It was the preaching of a resurrected Christ. The sign is not just the resurrection of Christ. The emphasis in this passage is the preaching of that resurrected Christ. You want a display of my power? I'm going to give you, and I'm not going to give you any sign. I will not perform any miracle that will satisfy your criteria. 
The only sign you're going to get is the same as all men. And it is the preaching of the resurrected Christ. Whenever Jesus is asked to meet people's expectations, to fit in their criteria, he always refuses. Now the Gentiles had a little different problem. The Gentiles, or more specifically the Greeks, were a people who worshipped the God of intellect and of reason. There weren't going, they weren't going to believe anything unless they deemed it reasonable. If I don't consider something reasonable, then it can't be true. Therefore, they ask of Jesus to overwhelm them with his intellectual powers. Prove logically and rationally that you are who you claim to be, and then we'll follow you. Christ's response to all of those who say, I must have evidence that demands a verdict. I must be convinced as an awesome judge that your claims are right. And you must, therefore, meet my standards of judgment before I believe in you. His answer to them is silence. He gives them no evidences. He says, if you want to follow me, you need to set aside your human reason. You've got to allow it to be governed by the word of God alone. Don't use your bar, your reason as a bar of judgment. Use it as a vessel that I fill with my word so that it alone shapes and governs you by my infallible word. That is the way the Lord Jesus Christ deals with people. If you come to him and say, Jesus I'll follow you if you can give me some reasonable explanation as to why it would in some way be beneficial to me. Jesus says, the only explanation I give is my word, already delivered unto you. And if you come to Jesus looking for some wonderful miracle before you believe in him, he says, forget it. The two most popular gods of the modern world are both refuted and destroyed here in the words of this passage. The idol of power and the idol of intellect. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. Well, why doesn't God prove himself? He can certainly do it. And wouldn't it be great... Don't you have that sinful desire in your heart? God, answer your critics. God, do something spectacular. God, overwhelm them intellectually and rationally. Lord, cause some great miracle to take place before their eyes. Do you ever wonder why God doesn't answer his critics? Two reasons. Because he has already ultimately displayed his power and his wisdom in the cross of Christ. And he will never distract from that for anyone's sake. He says, you want to see my power and my wisdom? Look to the cross of Christ. And the second reason he's not going to answer his critics is because God's power and his wisdom are only available to those whom God has called to himself. Now listen to this. 
Why isn't God going to answer his critics? Number one, he has already displayed his power and his wisdom in the cross. And number two, the only people who will ever appreciate that power and wisdom in a crucified Christ are those whom God has sovereignly called to himself. You see, everyone in the world is going to look at the cross as foolishness unless a sovereign God opens their eyes so that they can see Christ as he really is. So if this day you see in Christ the power and the wisdom of God, it's not because of anything in you. It's because a sovereign God has given you eyes that he hasn't given to others. He alone has gifted you with the ability to understand the power and wisdom of the cross and to believe in the saving miracle of a crucified Christ. At the cross, Christ overpowered humanism. The victory of this world lies in His hands alone. Christ has defeated all of the isms of this world. And those of you who have been blessed by faith through grace to be united to Almighty God must act as His victorious vice-regents. We must be so equipped with His Word that we never bow the knee to the wisdom of this world in its foolishness. But instead, we must overcome this world with the foolish preaching of His powerful Word. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees the collapse of all intellectualism and humanism raised up against Almighty God. The preaching of the gospel will bring down and overcome the advance of humanism. Humanism has no real future. Its goal is utopia, but its true end is oblivion, inevitable and total annihilation under the judgment of Almighty God. Because humanism does not understand man's origin, man's nature, or man's destiny. It overestimates man's capabilities, thereby cruelly uh, raising man's expectations and frustrations. And modern American humanism underestimates the jealousy of an angry God who shall not be mocked. And there are plenty of signs for those who would say, that the end of humanism is inevitable. Consider the prevalent and intense fear of nuclear war, of uncontrollable diseases, of ecological disasters. Consider the increasing tyranny of technology and the fear of technology, the increasing expectation of economic depression, the increasing disregard for moral absolutes, the increasing pessimism concerning the value of freedom and liberty, the increasing acceptance of totalitarianism, and the increasing alienation of man from himself and other men. The attitude of many is... Life is a bitch, and then you die. Humanism will collapse, especially when you consider its intense devaluation of human life. But I believe there is a new civilization coming. The proclamation and application of a crucified and resurrected Christ 
is the only cure for our dying civilization and for you. It is the solution to all of your problems and all of the problems of this entire nation. But the gospel of Christ will do you and no one else any good if it is allowed to remain closed up in the covers of your Bibles. Proclaim the foolishness of the cross to this culture, for it is the only thing powerful enough given unto us in heaven and in earth. Go therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I, Christ says, will be with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. What have you to fear, brothers and sisters? Open your mouth for Christ. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402-1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402-1484, Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace.